hey, we start, in, uh, we start a series last week, and we're continuing it in this week called Breakthrough. And uh, this has been, or excuse me, it's called In Between, Waiting on God for a Breakthrough. And uh, I've been thinking about this. God's been stirring this in me for some time, probably the last year, just going through my own life, looking at the lives of others that I, that I minister to and serve. And it seems that a lot of us find ourselves in these seasons where we're in between. We are praying for something to happen, for a breakthrough to happen. And it just seems like it's not happening. It's not coming. And we start to wonder, God, is this ever going to happen? Those of us that know God, we pray, God, would you please provide a breakthrough? And so uh, I just want to encourage you with this series. Where last week we looked at Job and the life of Job. And we looked uh, at this centered around suffering. Because as we said last week, if you live more than a couple years on this earth, you discover that suffering is going to be part of your existence. And Job demonstrated for us how to suffer. And we learn from his stories. If you missed that, go back and find the video and watch that because um, it's powerful to look at the life of Job. This year we're continuing this, or this year, this week we're continuing this series and we're going to look at the idea of promotion or of advancement. Um, breakthrough is a military term. It's a term of breaking through the lines of the defense uh, of the enemy, right? And having a victory. And I want to encourage you that God sees your struggle. He's not ignorant to it. He's not missing it. He's not uh, gone asleep, right, and forgotten about you. But God is aware of the struggle you're in, of the breakthrough that you're praying for. And can I say by faith that I believe God's going to bring that breakthrough into your life? It's coming. But here's the thing that I've learned, studying Scripture, walking with Jesus myself, is there is a season where we're waiting on it, and there's things that God's trying to do in our lives during that season. There is work to be done. Waiting on a breakthrough is not a time to sit on the couch, twiddle your thumbs, and eat kale chips. Okay, I'm just joking about the kale chips. Like maybe ruffles or Doritos. I don't know, but here's the thing. That's not what that time's for. There is important things that you need to be focused on during that season of waiting. If you find yourself just spinning in your mind, frustrated, uh, you know, anxious, angry, all those things, those are emotions that are coming from the fact that you're not focused on what you need to be to grow in that season. I know this. God brings a breakthrough to us, to his children, when we have grown reflective of the season he's taken us through. Breakthrough comes when we're ready for it because God is our father. He loves us. He watches us and he waits on us to develop and grow, to learn the lessons that we need to learn. And so uh, it's so important that we're focused in. It's not a season just to wait, but a season to grow. And so God's trying to do, us, uh, do this in us. And so I'm, I'm just prayerfully hoping that this series helps you get refocused that you would center in on what it is that you can be doing in this season of waiting. I would guess that all of us at some point in our lives have wanted an advancement, have wanted a promotion. 
Uh, I can, as I think back on my life, you know, I started working pretty young. I hung out with this kid in the neighborhood. He was in high school. He had a paper route. So when he went off to college, he offered it to me. I was 10 years old. And so I said, sure, I could use some baseball card money. And so I took the paper route and uh, did it every day after school, five days a week. <clears throat> the Warsaw Times Union in Indiana delivered that paper, rode my little 10-speed bike around. Uh, rain, shine, snow, didn't matter. Delivered those papers. But I got my baseball card money, which was awesome. But I, I wasn't worried about growing that paper out. I didn't think about an advancement. You know, I just I was happy with what I had. And then I uh, got into high school, mowed some lawns, did different things, eventually worked at McDonald's, you know, put in my time there. Uh, but I wasn't thinking about, oh, I want to be a manager at McDonald's. Kind of dumb because you can make it really good at McDonald's um, if you work there. But I didn't know. Like, I just uh, flipping burgers, and that was great. I was making my little, you know, whatever, my money to put gas in my motorcycle. And so, uh, but the, the first time I kind of remember thinking about a promotion or advancement, I was in college, and I went to a Bible college out of Omaha, and I went through the camping major. And you might think, what's a camping major? Fair question. <clears throat> so uh, there are Bible camps around the country. We have a couple that our church uh, utilizes. One's in down by North Platte, Maranatha. The other's Camp Rock, right? And so there's these Bible camps or Christian camps around the country, and they're uh, so important been so effective at helping young people, especially when they're run right, correctly. And so I was in this degree program to learn how to do that. Uh, the real reason I jumped into that degree program is I wanted to get married, and I knew that I'd have to tell my father-in-law I had a plan, and so that was my plan. So anyway, I uh, didn't end up working in camping, but I learned a lot uh, from that year. But anyway, we moved up there in the fall, and we jumped into it, and, and uh, we were working throughout the year, and this camp had you know, 10 to 15,000 people that came through. It was well-developed, a lot of stuff. Uh, a lot of people came out of the, the cities, uh, um, Minneapolis, St. Paul, or Wisconsin, uh, out of, uh, I mean, it was in Wisconsin, but they come out of Green Bay and even Chicago. And so it was well-attended <clears throat> in the north woods of uh, Wisconsin. And so they had a ski hill, downhill skiing, which I got to uh, learn how to teach people how to ski. And I mean, it was a great time, but worked through the fall, the, the winter, the spring, and summer was coming. And they had leadership positions that they would give to each one of us, uh, kind of, we were in this leadership development program. And so I uh, was looking at uh, wanting one of these leadership positions. And the, the one I had my eye on was the wilderness trip director. And the wilderness trip director got to go through rock climbing training with the Iowa Mountaineers. That's kind of funny if you think about it, Iowa Mountaineers. Iowa doesn't have any mountains if you think about it. Anyway, so anyway, went through the Iowa Mountaineers training and learned how to do rock climbing, lead rock climbing trips. And we got to lead uh, trips on the Flambeau River, uh, canoe trips, and, you know, stay out overnight and all that stuff. And I, was, I thought, this would be the greatest thing to do all summer. And so I wanted this job. The thing is that I had a friend named Jim who was also in the program. He had been there the summer before, and this is the position he held. And so if he were to stay at the camp, which the camp administration was desirous of having him stay there, then he would have this position through the next summer. Well, so I just made it known that that's what I wanted to do. They asked everybody, what is it that you want to do? You know, and so I expressed that. But uh, it was out of my hands. If he stayed at the camp, then he would have that position. But he had an opportunity to go work at a camp in Ecolaca, Montana, and be the, uh, one of the uh, on staff there. And so he was considering what he would do. And I was praying, God, you know, I love my friend Jim. Would your will be done? I'd really love this position. It's the first time I can remember really wanting something like that. And uh, as God, uh, God's sovereign will became uh, revealed, 
Jim took the position in Ekalaka, and I got the job of wilderness trip director. And I'm, I spent the whole summer, I was so excited, but I spent the summer, uh, you know, belaying young people as they climbed, just hoping one of them didn't fall off the rock. Because, uh, you know, uh, it, it was a little scary, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes you got to be careful what you wish for. Uh, it turns out different than you thought. But, but it was great, and I enjoyed it. Um, but the truth is, uh, advancement and promotion is something that most of us run into at some point in our lives. Maybe uh, you need more income, right? You're just looking for that, and a, a job, an advancement would provide that. Maybe uh, you feel like you could do a better job. You could, you could help improve the situation where you work. Maybe you're just like achieving goals and you've set a goal of advancing and promotion is part of that. And so you just like to achieve. Some of us are wired that way. Some of us would like to work for ourselves and you've got a dream of being able to start your own business and go do that. Whatever it might be, promotion or advancement has probably been a part of your life. Maybe it is right now. Today we want to look at a story from the Bible of one of the most fascinating stories that we see in Scripture, really that I've ever heard about a story of promotion and advancement. Comes from 1 Samuel. So if you have your Bible and you want to turn there, turn to 1 Samuel chapter 16. We're going to look at the story of the life of King David. King David um, was perhaps the greatest king that Israel ever had. Really, uh, that's the way it's presented to us. God certainly thought so. And so uh, David is a fascinating character. He went through a season of waiting. And we're going to look at that today. Um, it's interesting that as we look at promotion, one of the things that's so important is to recognize that God knows where you're at, he knows your situation, and that trusting him and growing your heart are some of the most important things as we go through that season. Let's uh, pray together as we get ready to dig into this. God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you for preserving the Holy Scriptures for us for ensuring that we have them thousands of years after they were written. Father, thank you for the inspiration, the process of inspiration where you breathed through the human authors as they wrote down your words so that today we could have them, we could know what you want us to know. We could discover your insight and wisdom to life through these powerful words. God, thank you. I pray you speak to us through your word today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to set up the story uh, of David and his life, we've first got to realize kind of the history of Israel. Remember that Abraham was the father of the Hebrew nation. God picked Abraham, said, leave your home, uh, go to a land I'll show you, and I will give you a land, a place to live. I'll give you seed or offspring, and I'll bless you. And so Abraham left his home. He ended up in the land of Canaan, and God said, this is the place. I'm going to give this to you. But it took years for the nation of Israel to actually step into that land. Uh, they, they spent some time in Egypt as a result of a time of famine. And you'll remember uh, the story of Joseph and how he ended up in Egypt. He was elevated to leadership. Through his leadership, provision was there for the, the known world at the time. And so uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel came down. It was just a tribe, one tribe at that time. Uh, um, wasn't a lot of people. They end up, they came down and settled in the region of Egypt. They began to grow and flourish. Their numbers uh, became many. And, uh, and so a pharaoh, the pharaoh that, that was alive and in power when they came to Egypt, died off. And another pharaoh came into power that didn't know or remember Joseph. And he was fearful of the Hebrew people. They were multiplying so quickly, he was scared that they would take over. They would outnumber the Egyptians. And so he enslaved them 
put them under slavery, 400 years of slavery. Finally, God raised up Moses, right? And Moses led the people out of Egypt into the wilderness. And it was through Moses' leadership that they walked right up to the land of Canaan. And yet, because of their lack of faith and obedience, they did not go into the land. And Moses led them through 40 years in the wilderness. And it was during that time that a generation died. God said, I'm not going to take that generation, that unbelieving generation in. I'm going to take their children in. And so that's what happened. They died off, and God said, all right, you're ready. But Moses, you did not obey me during your season of leadership. You're not going to lead the people into uh, the land of Canaan. Joshua, your right-hand man, is going to do it. And so Joshua stepped up into that role of leadership. They crossed the Jordan River and went into the land of Canaan. And because God was with them and they had faith and courage, they, they took the land, the land that God had promised them. And so they're dwelling in that land. Now there was 12 tribes, the nation of Israel, and they were not unified very well. They didn't have a centralized leadership, right? Each tribe had its own leadership. They, all they had as far as what con connected them were prophets, at the time of the story of, uh, that we're going to uh, look at today with, um, in Samuel, Samuel was the prophet in, in a position of leadership. He was to hear from God, and he was to tell the people what to do. He had the primary leadership role. Now, the nation of Israel at this time began to ask for a king. They said, we want to be unified. We have enemies that attack us, right? All the people around us have centralized leadership. They have a king. And God said, let me be your king. <laughs> I'll lead you. I love you. You're my people. And as we often do, they rejected that idea. They said, no, we need a human king. He said, well, he's going to tax you. and He's going to take your young men, put them in the military. And they said, we don't care. We want a king. And so Samuel was instrumental. God selected Saul, but Samuel was instrumental in, in seeing Saul step into leadership. He was the first king of Israel. Now Saul was a tall man. He looked like a leader. And at first, it looked as though he had leadership ability. He led and he was successful in the beginning. But it became apparent that Saul did not have a heart for God. And so as time went on, he began to be disobedient to God. Samuel would come to him, uh, trying to mentor him and coach him. He'd say, Saul, here's God's instructions. Just do them. And over and over again, Saul would say, nope, I'm going to do the opposite thing. He would do what he wanted to do. Maybe you've tried to mentor somebody. Maybe you tried to raise a child that just wouldn't listen and you tried to coach them and mentor them to follow God and just do the right thing and they just persisted in rebellion or doing the wrong thing. You know how frustrating that can be. And Samuel was in that role, extremely frustrated, disheartened. And he saw this coming, but finally the day came when God said, I'm done with Saul. I'm not working with him anymore. He will not listen to me. And so Samuel mourned that loss. He felt like a failure, I'm sure. Felt like he wasn't able to get this uh, this individual where they needed to be, and so he mourned. Uh, God came to, to Samuel eventually and said, you know, how long are you going to mourn Saul? I've picked the next king of Israel. So he told him, take your horn, fill it with oil, with olive oil, and go to the home of Jesse. Jesse had uh, eight sons. He said, go to the home of Jesse, and uh, I'll show you which one of them is going to be the next king. And so Samuel was obedient. He went to the home of Jesse. Uh, he had a little disguise. He disguised the trip so Saul wouldn't think he was doing something nefarious, uh, subverting him. And so he went to do, offer some sacrifices. While he was there, he met with Jesse, and he began to say, bring your sons in front of me. God's going to reveal which one uh, is going to be the next king. And so the oldest came first, and, and Samuel said, well, of course, he's going to be the next king. Because, you know, the oldest, 
I mean, that's a natural choice, right? The oldest is always the best, right? Are you with me? Okay, I'm just making sure you're awake. I'm the oldest, so of course I'm going to say that. Hey, listen, just joking, just joking. That wasn't the guy. Uh, God said, no, that's not him. Uh, man doesn't look at outward appearances. Or man looks at outward appearances, but God doesn't judge that way. He looks at the heart. And God said, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to get this. Uh, we're going to pick a guy here that has a heart for me. And so that's what he had found. And so seven sons come in front of uh, Samuel, seven sons. None of them are the right one. And in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, if you want to look at verse 11, this is what Samuel says to Jesse. He says, hey, do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one, anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. Then Samuel returned to Ramah. So Samuel uh, did something very important, very, something very sacred. He anointed David with this oil. He had a horn or a flask that held the oil, and he poured it over his head, and it was a lot of oil. And it ran down uh, through his hair, through his, uh, his beard. It penetrated into his skin. And the, the imagery here is that God was anointing him. The power of God, the presence of God was coming on him. And here's this young man who has been called to be king. He's been anointed king. The problem is that though David was chosen to be king, he didn't step into that role immediately. Uh, as best we can tell, it was about seven years before David sat on the throne of Judah and another uh, few years, so 15 in total, before he was king over all of Israel. And so uh, he had an in-between time where he had to wait. He engaged this difficult season. King Saul was in charge. He had, the Spirit of God had left Saul. So you have very poor leadership. You have inept leadership that's insecure. Um, and uh, and the, the scriptures tell us that God pulled his spirit, right? The Spirit of God left Saul, and an evil spirit came to torment Saul. So you have a guy that looks like he has some significant mental illness. It's being tormented by a, a, an evil spirit. He's insecure. Um, what, a, what a miserable situation to be in. And yet David walked through this season in between. And he handled it so well. I want to point out some things that he did in this season. So powerful. Here's the first principle that we see uh, that I want to draw from David's example. Remember, David had a heart for God. His example's powerful, right? It's powerful. What he did is remarkable. And so though you might be tempted at times to think, this is crazy, man. This can't be done. I want to encourage you, it can be done. You can walk this path out. It's powerful and it's effective. Okay, the first principle I want to look at today that David did is this principle. Serve the person who has the position you want. Serve the person who has the position you want. 1 Samuel 16, 21 says this. So David went to Saul and began to serve him. Saul loved David very much, and David became his armor bearer. David went to the, to the palace. Here's the deal. Uh, Saul was having these fits, being tormented by an evil spirit. Uh, out of his mind, angry, um, distraught, anxiety. 
And so one of his staff there in the palace said, hey, we know this young boy named David, one of Jesse's sons. He can play. He's a musician. Uh, he's a worshiper. Uh, he's a poet. Let's bring him in. Perhaps he can play his harp and, and ease Saul's suffering. And so David was called upon. Now, here's the guy he's going to replace. And he goes into the palace. This guy's suffering from a demonic presence. He's lost the presence of God. He's an inept leader. Yet David goes in and begins to play for him. Using the spiritual gift that he'd been given, the Holy Spirit's presence on him, David played for him, and it relieved Saul's torment. David served wholeheartedly for the king. It's a remarkable thing that David did. Saul had made many foolish decisions. David knew this. There would be more to come. But instead of fighting to oust Saul, he served him. He respected that God had Saul in place. In order to serve the person in front of you, you must have a pure heart. You can't lust after their position. You can't just be focused on gaining the advancement. But rather, you got to wait on God to provide a breakthrough. you got to wait on God. This is so important for our character development, for the process of waiting that we are developed inside. We learn to trust God, okay? Serving the person in the position you want forces you to trust God ultimately. You will not always feel like doing this. In fact, you may not feel like doing it at all. That is irrelevant. <laughs> we don't live our lives based on our feelings. We base our lives on the truth, on what's right. And so the character that David displays here in serving the man in front of him is powerful. I've got a good friend who grew up in a farm family, grew up on the farm his whole life, and uh, he was in line to take over the farm. It had been in the family for generations. And so uh, here he was growing up, and he was going to take over the family farm. That was known and understood. His dad wanted that to happen, and so they had talked about it. He went off to school, got a little uh, ag education, uh, came back home, and as a single young man, worked on the farm for years. Um, through his 20s, he met a gal when he was around 30, uh, decided he wanted to get married, got married, uh, continued to work on the farm, started to raise a family, uh, and, and the, the timeline on taking over the farm just continued to get pushed out. It got pushed out further and further, and it began to look like his dad really didn't want to let go of control of the farm. And uh, he was struggling, man, because uh, he had a family and, you know, his future, his livelihood, and this is what he wanted to do. And so he went and got another job, and, and was working to, uh, you know, there was some debt uh, related to the farm. They, you know, through the 80s, uh, been a tough season. And so, um, but, uh, you know, he was working to pay off that debt to ensure that he had a good future there and he could provide for his family. His dad didn't care as much about that, wasn't as concerned with the debt. And so there was just power struggles and tension and fighting all the time. I just watched him over the years. I could just see it on his face, the tension and pressure he was under as this season just continued to stretch out, as his dad just uh, resisted giving him control. Bitterness and anger started to well up, and between them, uh, there, was, there was not a lot of love there between father and son. Well, um, <clears throat> they entered a season where they started to recognize that he started to recognize his dad wasn't as sharp as he had been, and uh, eventually they got him into the doctor, and sure enough, he was in the beginning stages, actually a little further along, advanced stages of dementia. And so he began to decline very quickly. Uh, first, he just couldn't, um, he knew he needed help getting up, getting into a wheelchair, needed help getting on the toilet, you know, these kinds of basic things. And uh, his wife was very committed to caring for him in their home. And so she was dedicated, but she couldn't 
lift him and move him around. And so my friend uh, was there daily helping with his dad. And uh, this progressed. And first, it just, like I said, it started just helping him around a little bit. But soon his muscles began to quit working. And he ended up really pretty much an invalid in bed, could not move, couldn't, couldn't get out of bed. Uh, my friend had to build a little mechanism with electric motor and lift just to lift him up. Uh, they had kind of a cradle that they put him in and lift him up and then set him in a chair, get him out you know, into the living room so he could get some sun and be up. Eventually, they were changing his diapers. Very, very difficult season. And this went on for, for many years. And my friend just continued to help take care of his dad. And he said this at the funeral, something really powerful. Um, he said, you know, there's nothing like wiping somebody's bottom to change the way you feel about them and look at them. Uh, his anger and bitterness and resentment just melted over the time he had to care for his dad. And he saw his dad as not somebody that was a challenge <laughs> to his future, not somebody that was a challenge to his uh, taking over, but as someone to be loved and cared for. And it melted his heart. He grew to have compassion for his dad. Serving the person over you that has the position you want, it keeps your heart right towards them. It keeps you from becoming consumed by greed and power, bitterness, and resentment. Serving is a powerful thing. Serve the person who has the position you want. Second principle from this story of David is this. Fight battles for the person that has the position you want. Fight battles for them. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, we arrive upon a famous story that you may have heard. Uh, David is serving Saul. He's in the, the palace at times. He's at home serving his dad at times, taking care of the sheep and the goats. Uh, he's doing both. David didn't say, hey, I've been anointed king. <laughs> I'm not going to take care of the sheep anymore. I mean, I might be tempted. If you've ever taken care of sheep, you might be tempted to say that. David might have been tempted. No. He said, listen, it's my job. I'm going to submit to the authority over me. My dad the king, I'm going to serve them. The time wasn't right yet. He continued to serve with the correct attitude, the correct heart. And so he was back and forth. The, the story that we find in, Mass, in uh, chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, um, David was at home with his father, taking care of the sheep and goats. Uh, there was the Philistines, who were one of their enemies, had assembled their armies for battle. And so you had the Philistines on one side, you had the Israelites on the other. They were going to fight, right? This is what war looked like in these days. And so David is at home caring for the sheep. All of his brothers are at the battle lines. David wanted to be at the battle lines, but that was not in the cards for him. He served faithfully under his father. And so his dad said to him one day, Jesse said, David, come here. I need you to take some supplies to your brothers. Go to the, to the battle lines. Take these supplies. Find out how things are going. Bring back news. And so David loaded up the supplies. He went to the battle lines. He dropped them off with the person in charge of them, ran to the battle lines, got there just in time to see something amazing happen. The Philistines had a giant. He stepped out and he taunted the armies of the living God. He said, listen, <laughs> you, you little weaklings, you wimps, let's fight. You find a champion, bring him out here. We'll fight the two of us and uh, that'll declare the winner. David's a young man. He's not even a warrior yet. He's not even of age to be in the military. He sees this happen. He goes, who is this punk that is defying the armies of the living God? Who is this joker? Who's doing something about this? What happens for the guy that takes him out? And so pretty soon David ends up in front of Saul, the king. And Saul says, what have I been hearing, young man? Sounds like you've been saying some crazy stuff. What are you saying? 
And David goes, yeah, you heard right. I want to take out this giant. This isn't right. God won't stand for it, and neither will I. And so David steps up in this role, filled by the Holy Spirit. Saul's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He doesn't know how to conquer this giant. David finally convinces Saul to let him have a chance. He had to talk quite a bit. Saul said, you're not a warrior. You don't know how to fight. This guy's huge. He's a giant, man. The end of his spear weighs 16 pounds. They didn't have bowling balls in that day, but, you know, this thing's heavy. How are you going to fight this guy? You're a little kid. And David goes, listen, I killed a lion. I killed a bear with my bare hands watching my father's sheep. I've developed the skill of using a sling. I can fight this guy. I can win. God wants this done. So David, with that conviction, uh, convinced Saul to give him a shot. Saul tried to put his armor on David. David said, this isn't for me. I got my own way of fighting. And so David moves out to the battle lines. Goliath on the other side. David picks up five rocks. Uh, Some versions translate it stones. You might think of them as small. These are rocks. Got some weight to them. David had developed the expert ability of using a sling. Slingers were important in in this time for military. Uh, David was not the only one with this ability. These guys had the ability to fight from a distance. Goliath was an infantry guy. Okay, he was huge, but he was slow. And he only had the ability to do hand-to-hand combat. David knew that with the slingshot, he had an advantage. He knew that God wanted this done, and he had developed the ability to do it. He picked up five stones, and he ran at Goliath. And you know the story. He loaded his sling, he cranked it up, and with expert ability and the power of God directing his stone, that stone hit the giant in the one uh, notch in his armor, the one weak spot, which was his forehead. That rock slammed into his forehead, knocked him out. He hit the ground with a thud. David ran up, grabbed his sword, and removed his head from him. And this turned into a rout. And the Philistines ran, scared to death, and the people of God stepped up and won. It's an amazing story. A young man who steps in and fights battles for the person over him. Saul didn't know what to do. Saul wasn't going to handle the situation. He was inept. He was a poor leader. He had lost any any confidence, any faith in God. David steps into a situation, not to usurp, but to fight for him. Work for the success of the person that you were under. Lift them up and help them succeed. God sees your efforts on, on their behalf. He sees your obedience to him, and he will reward you. Don't believe the lies of the enemy regarding working for someone else's success. Those lies include things like this, that you will never get your chance, that you're being taken advantage of, that you are not building for your future, that you're wasting your time. Do not believe these lies. They're lies of the enemy. God says, step up, step in, fight battles for the person that is over you. The truth is that God does see your efforts and he will reward you. Each day you spend fighting for someone else's success, you're building the ability, you're learning how to, how to fight eventually for your own success. The second principle, next principle, excuse me, the next one is this. Stay loyal even when you're misunderstood. One of the most difficult principles from, this, uh, from the life of David. I think one of the hardest things to do. Stay loyal even when you're misunderstood. David was on the rise. After killing Goliath, he became a leader in the, in the army. He would lead out and they would, uh, they would attack the Philistines and he would win. And he uh, was having great success. And Saul was on the decline. 
He had less and less leadership ability. He was not able to fight and succeed. So David's on the rise, Saul's on the decline, and Saul began to become fearful of David. He saw him as a threat, as happens so often. And David had to deal with this difficult situation. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 12 says this, Saul was then afraid of David, for the Lord was with David and had turned away from Saul. David served faithfully and fought for Saul's success but Saul did not trust him. He began to fear him. And so Saul would, uh, would wanted him ultimately to die. He, uh, he um, requested or ordered that he be executed. One of the things that David did because he lived such an integrate life, because he did fight for Saul, the people around him that were close to Saul began to defend David. Uh, Saul had a, had a son, Jonathan. Jonathan and David were extremely close. At times, Jonathan would go to his dad, Dad, you're wrong. You think David's a threat. He's not a threat. Trust him. He's on your side. He's working for your success. David's wife, who was also Saul's daughter, would go to her dad at times and say, no, dad, you're seeing this wrong. David is not against you. That will happen around you if you live integrity. If you're living with a loyalty and, and a, a trueness to the person you're working for. Stay loyal, even when you're misunderstood. We hate being misunderstood. It's one of the hardest things you'll face. It's aggravating. It's angering. But stay strong. Don't, don't buckle under that. There are times when you'll need to speak up for yourself. Uh, Saul was chasing David one time, trying to kill him. Uh, David and his men were hiding out in a cave. Saul went into the cave, used the bathroom. He relieved himself. David uh, came up behind him, cut off a piece of his robe. David's men said, kill him. Now's your chance. Take his life. David said, no. He cut off a piece of his robe. Saul leaves the cave. David comes out after him. He says, listen, look, I was in there behind you. You didn't even know I was there. I could have killed you. I just cut off a piece of your robe to prove I'm not your enemy. I'm not against you. Finally, he convinced Saul that he wasn't a threat. Loyalty is extremely powerful. Must be lived out even when you're misunderstood. Don't give in the pressure to lose your loyalty. Loyalty reflects your character. Uh, John Kenneth Galbraith was a noted economist in the early 1900s who called upon, it was called upon by many dignitaries to help sort out economic affairs and markets. He wrote the following story in his autobiography about his housekeeper. It had been a wearying day, and I asked Emily to hold all telephone calls while I had a nap. Shortly thereafter, the phone rang. Lyndon Johnson was calling from the White House. Get me Ken on the phone. This is Lyndon Johnson. I need to speak to him now. He's sleeping, Mr. President. He said not to disturb him. Well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. I'm the President of the United States. No, Mr. President. I work for him, not you. When I called the President back, he could scarcely contain his pleasure. Tell that woman I want her working in the White House immediately. Hey, listen, Emily, the housekeeper, understood an important truth. She was a servant to one man, right? She knew who she answered to, and she was loyal to him. What a great example of loyalty. We need to live out loyalty even when it's hard. Next principle, let God control the timing. Let God control the timing of your promotion or your advancement if it's to happen. Um, David understood this. His men would push him to take Saul out. Saul was a horrible leader. David said, no, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. 
God has placed Saul in power. And I'm not going to step in and try to manipulate the situation. I'm not going to take control. I'm going to trust God with the timing. 1 Samuel 24, verse 6 says this. He said to his men, this David talking, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord the King. I shouldn't, I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. Trusting God with the timing of your promotion advancement, if it's to happen, right? Trusting God with that timing ultimately respects that God is in control. He is sovereign over the world. Let him have this piece of it. I watch people, and I certainly have been there, who walk through life filled with anxiety, fear, stress, anger, because they're trying to carry things that God is meant to carry. When we step into that, we can get in, we can get stuck in addiction. A lot of alcohol issues are related to this. Uh, carrying something I wasn't made to carry, and it will crush us as human beings. The serenity prayer talks about this. Hey, help me to uh, handle the things that I can handle. Help me to trust God with the things he can handle. Give me the wisdom to know the difference. There's plenty of people that aren't struggling with alcohol and substance, but they're not walking in serenity. They're not walking with peace. And it's because God was meant to carry some things that we can't. Give God control of the timing. Trust him with it. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you always should. I had a friend who I worked under as a pastor. He, uh, when he came to Christ, uh, he was a leader. And he uh, came to Christ in a church working under a pastor who was much older than him. He began to move into leadership. He got opportunities to preach and people responded to him. And, and pretty soon they were looking to him for leadership. He began to usurp the authority and the leadership of the pastor that was over him. Finally, a leader in the church came to him and confronted him and said, listen, you got to stop. You're usurping the power of the man that you're under. You don't know what you're doing, but you're doing it. If you keep going, you're going to split this thing. You're going to cause real problems. And so my friend was not aware, did not see it when he was confronted with it. He didn't have the maturity to walk in the number two position, though he was a better leader. He didn't have the ability to do that. So he just stepped out of leadership. Listen, uh, trust God for the timing. Let's walk with faith in him. Next principle, last one for today is this. Always honor the one that you replace. Always honor the one you replace. <clears throat> David, when he heard of, San, uh, of Saul and David's death in battle, he didn't rejoice. He didn't celebrate and throw a party. Woohoo, finally I'm king. I've been waiting for this seven years. No, he mourned. He was sad. He was not looking for Saul to be taken. He wasn't sitting there waiting and dying to take control, Right? He had trust in God. He was walking with integrity. He was supporting Saul's leadership. He saw that Saul was God's man and God would take care of the timing. So when David learned of their death, this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 1, verse 17. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. He honored them. He memorialized them. David honored Saul and his legacy. Uh, when a new king would take power in these days, he would kill off all of the offspring or relatives of the previous administration, so there was no threat to his authority and leadership. David said, are there any relatives of Saul and Jonathan? They, someone mentioned years later, mentioned, yeah, there's a young man named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a son of Jonathan, grandson of Saul. David said, bring him in to me. Mephibosheth was crippled. He'd been dropped by his nurse on the day news of Saul and Jonathan's death came through. 
Mephibosheth came before David terrified. David said this, don't be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness uh, because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. Ways to honor the person that you're following. Honor is biblical concept. It's been lost in our time. Honoring others shows respect for God's control over the order of the world. Number one step is to speak words of affirmation publicly. Lift up the person that you're following. Even when making changes, show respect for the way they did things. Have an open door policy allowing them to visit. Don't shut the door off to all future engagement. And honor their legacy and sacrifice by memorializing them in meaningful ways. Once there was a little old man, um, his eyes blinked and his hands trembled when he ate. He clattered the silverware distressingly, missed his mouth with the spoon as often as not, and dribbled a bit of food onto the tablecloth. He lived with his son and daughter-in-law because he didn't have anywhere else to live. His daughter-in-law did not like the arrangement. She said, I can't have this. It interferes with my right to happiness. So she and her husband took the old man gently but firmly by the arm and led him to the corner of the kitchen. There they set him on a stool and gave him his food in an earthenware bowl. From, there, from then on, he ate in the corner, blinking um, at the table with a wistful eye. One day his hands trembled rather more than usual, and the earthenware bowl fell to the floor and broke. If you're a pig, said the daughter-in-law, then you must eat out of a trough. And so they made a little wooden trough, and that's how he ate his meals from then on. These people had a little son, four-year-old boy, and one evening he was playing with some blocks of wood, and his dad said, son, what are you doing there? And he, uh, he said, I'm making a trough. He looked up his dad for approval, smiling, to feed you and mama out of when I get big. The man and his wife looked at each other for a while, didn't say anything. Then they cried a little. Then they went to the corner and took the old man by the arm, led him back to the table. They set him in a comfortable chair, put a plate in front of him, and no one complained from that moment on about any mess that he made. Showing honor is so important. As you wait for a breakthrough in advancement, remember this. Trust God. Serve the one who is over you. Fight for their success. Stay loyal even when you're misunderstood, trust God with the timing and honor their legacy. Do these things and you will grow. You will thrive while waiting on God for a breakthrough. Trust me, David wanted to be king. He just didn't want to gain the throne the wrong way. God, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you for calling us to be your children and to walk with you. I pray that you would continue to grow us uh, as we walk through times and seasons of waiting. As we long for a breakthrough in our lives, God, may we look to you, trust you, grow in the areas that you want to, to shape us in our character so that when the time comes, we're ready. Father, thank you. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.